John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open in the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. The word of the Lord. So uh, they say that you shouldn't go grocery shopping while you're hungry uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I, I'm not sure if something similar is um, in effect about uh, writing sermons while angry. Um, so bear with me uh, if I say too much or if I say not enough uh, several days later. Um, but this past Wednesday, I sat at my desk and I was pouring over Mark commentaries, um, looking at this passage and others. And then images of the capital invasion flashed on my screen. And my first thought as anger began to mount was epiphany means revelation. Epiphany means revelation. I struggled with whether to put up some of these images, um, but by now y'all have seen them too many times. And so I'll spare us that on a Sunday. But you see this epiphany season, what I mean by epiphany means revelation, this epiphany season that uh, happened on Wednesday amidst all the other things that were happening on Wednesday is the end of this Christmas season where God's salvation is made manifest to the nations, to the whole earth, even to us. In Revelation, this sort of revelation is one of those events where everything is laid bare. What is and what has been, and you must either take it or you have to leave it, but the one thing you can't do is pretend like it didn't happen or that you didn't see it. That's what Revelation forces us to. In the birth of Jesus, the advent of a king is one of these sorts of revelations. It elicits drastically different responses. Pastor Ricardo talked about the Magi who came from far-flung places following a star to adore Jesus. These weren't uh, pious people. Their science and their philosophy didn't necessarily disclose everything they needed to know about God, uh, who God is, what it looks like for God to show up, but they remained open to it. I, I find a lot of um, hope and inspiration uh, amongst my neighbors, because I know all of these people who are into science and philosophy, and I hope that they remain open to who God is and what God is doing. Um, but these, these magi, these three kings, 
uh, their pursuit of pagan excellence and truth led them by a star to encounter truth with a capital T. And when they met it, when they met him, truth in person, they started to pull an Isaiah 60, gathering all of their gifts, the kings coming, marching in, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts also reveal. They show that this young king is worthy of royal treatment, gold, everything, any of the riches someone could offer. They show that this infant is not only royal, but also holy, a priest, that uh, frankincense aroma of the divine, but also that this child's life will be significant, but also that Jesus's death will in some way be significant. They brought him the burial spice of myrrh. That should be a haunting gift to receive at your birth, right? There's a lot going on in this simple scene reported in Matthew's gospel. That's why I love that it's so prominent in the life of Kanu and uh, in some of our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters, because I just imagine rather than Santa Claus, the, the role of this Magi imagination plays in, in these little kids in their formation. God's coming kingdom is being revealed and even some outside of Israel are starting to see the picture develop. But before this gets too rosy, before this revelation seems too obvious, we need to remember the other side that maybe the, the darker response of this revelation of Jesus. Remember there's another king in this time, a king named Herod. Herod is an insecure king. Herod is a king who tries to snuff out any opposition. Herod is so accustomed to using people that adoration isn't really part of his vocabulary, unless it's some pale and perverted sort of adoration that is only aimed at him. Herod is kind of a black hole, so to speak. The Magi adore Herod initiates a genocide. Every child two or younger in his vicinity is to be killed. He's furious that he's been given the slip by these magi. So again, Epiphany reveals there are two sets of people looking at the exact same thing and they see two drastically different things. The magi saw salvation and Herod saw a threat. Let those with ears hear. Jesus's birth God's coming into our world is always this kind of crisis. It doesn't make either person, either the Magi or Herod, who they are, but it uncovers who each has become, what each lives have been oriented towards. Jesus's birth unsettles, it, uh, and we assume that Herod's life gets more and more unmoored until his death. Shortly after this scene of Herod initiating genocide, we just have this comment that after Herod died, Jesus and his family were able to come back, right? It doesn't usually end well for kings who kill their own people just to stay in charge. The Magi went back to their homes after giving Herod the slip, after having seen salvation. And I love, there's a famous poem by T.S. Eliot called The Journey of the Magi. 
I love the imagination he has around this as they return and he's speaking in first person from, from the Magi and he says, we return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. It's difficult ima to imagine that these Magi would have just snapped back to stargazing after having encountered Jesus. Epiphany means revelation, making manifest and apocalypse, not the end of the world, but maybe the end of the world as we thought we knew it. This has to be how revelation feels, obvious to some and oblivious to others. The Magi see him and adore him. Herod fears and tries to kill him. Apocalypse breaks into our now, like Mark's gospel report of Jesus's baptism that you and I just read. The heavens are rent open. This is kind of a remix of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend open the heavens and come down is the prayer of the prophet. Things that are rent, that are torn, are not easily repaired. There's no going back once the sheet has been pulled away and we've seen it. There's only a new normal. There's only a new day where we must reconfigure all of the old data to make sense of what we thought we knew about the world and what we thought we knew about ourselves. We have to reconfigure that data and, and, and put it into a new story. Uh, uh, Apocalypse brings about a, a new day where we must be brave enough to recalibrate the future off of our old maps and courses towards a new train that's before us. For many in our nation, this day, this epiphany happened on Wednesday. For some, it was actually the first time that they've actually seen what so many people were trying to warn them about. I was happy to see in the aftermath um, several people, probably not enough people to be honest, but several people issue apologies. Like normal people on social media saying, I'm so sorry to X, Y, and Z people who I muted or who I blocked or who I ridiculed because I didn't see what you were talking about and now I see it. Uh, I unfollowed you because of your warnings, but now I recognize that you were right. It's easy to mock members of the president's cabinet and others for jumping off what appears to be a sinking ship with less than two weeks left. I, I get that. But maybe that's also the first time they've really seen it, that they've been honest enough to see it, that they've known and that they knew that they had to make a choice. Maybe, maybe it's the first time. For others, Wednesday was an opportunity to double down, to make like political uh, calculations, to dig in, to spread blame, to further sow doubt and discord. Again, epiphany means revelation. There's been plenty of exit ramps along the way, but maybe a, an epiphany is the last exit. The, the, the one that when you let it fly by in the interstate, you just have to assume at some point that someone actually wants to be on the road that they're on, that they mean to be there. And all of this sort of thinking made me ask questions of myself, difficult questions that I, I don't even have great answers to um, and that I want faster answers to questions like, how do we change our minds? The, the, the version of uh, Mark's gospel that you read translates repent because that has such a like 
pit preacher sign connotation to most of us. And so that uh, translation says, change our hearts and lives, right, for, for repent. How does that happen? Is that possible? And when is the last time that I did that is the question that I'm asking. Maybe this is the, the question that each of us should be asking. When is the last time I thought I knew something that I was actually dead wrong about and I needed to change my way of thinking and living? And, and what did it cost me or what would it cost me to, to have a more repentant life? Uh, before we ask that of others, we always need to ask that of ourselves. So <clears throat> Mark's baptism scene, it cuts to Jesus wading in the Jordan River. And, and when I see, when I, in my mind's eye, see Jesus wading in the Jordan River, it's like he's knee deep in a metaphor of Israel's deliverance, right? It's so thick. He's, he, he's in this place that means so much to his people. He's in this decisive moment um, where Israel is amidst a plague and they're given an opening to leave a cruel and hard-hearted Pharaoh who is bent on boosting the economy while breaking the backs of God's people. But as Jesus stands in this river and it, and it sets off all these bells of Israel's collective memory, we also remember that when Israel left Egypt, some of God's people wanted to go back. <laughs> they remembered the food was decent. The devil that you know is sometimes preferable to the one that you don't and the desert is hard, the wilderness is tough and nostalgia and security are a heck of a drug, right? But Jesus goes down in those waters and then comes up. It made me remember my own uh, baptism. I got baptized as a baby, and then I got baptized as a teenager, and I was trying to describe this to my kids. And I'm thinking especially about the, the baptism as a teenager. A friend gave me like the pro tip to open my eyes as I was coming up out of the waters. They said it, it's really special and really cool, and it was. But I, I remember coming up out of the waters and seeing a blur of light in American flags because I got baptized on 4th of July weekend at First Baptist Daytona, the, the guest preacher was a military speaker. And I don't think this baptism was hardly anything like Jesus's baptism in the Jordan River. I don't think he came out and saw the, the accoutrements of Rome and was excited about uh, uh, being birthed into that sort of uh, kingdom. I think it was something pretty different. Baptism is, of course, not only a cleansing, but it's the enactment, like the reenactment of like a public death, a dying to the old way of being, a dying to what you knew, a dying to your old hopes. One that is hopefully a sign and not an actual drowning, but one that brings about a, a new life, it brings about an initiation into a new family. All of this is exciting, but it's also, again, revealing. You don't just tack on these new things. You are born into them as you leave behind the old. Throughout Jesus's ministry, he consistently draws like side eyes from people who are close to him because he's banding with all these strange people, 
his new family after being baptized in the Jordan River bonds to all these people who hadn't previously been considered part of Israel's family. He, he has uh, formed a, a odd squad of fishermen and zealots, not exactly good go, like temple going folk. He's eating with tax collectors and disreputable people. And then when they ask him, who are my brothers and sisters? Who is my mother? Um, he answers by saying, they're not the ones who I share blood or who I share history or who I even necessarily share physical features with, but they're those who follow me. Those who are baptized into a new life, into a new family, into a new gospel mission. So Epiphany reveals all of these new allegiances. Faith is allegiance. It shows you who is relying on their own strength and their own knowledge, their own sense of how things are to be ordered, and at times our own desire to make things happen by any means necessary rather than God's strength, which shockingly often manifests itself in weakness and vulnerability and patience and all these other fruits of the spirit that are now allowed to grow in this baptized person. Again, it makes me makes me ask these hard questions before I ask them of anyone else. I need to ask them of myself. How do I join with Jesus to those who are different than me, who I disagree with, who look different, who act different, who, uh, whose lives are just drastically different than what I know? How do we become intimate family with those who we have no business being with apart from Jesus and the movement of God's spirit? How open to that am I? How, how much even looking at my Christmas cards on the side of my cabinet, uh, do the people uh, who I'm at least in correspondent communion with uh, look different than me or, or how much does my life just make too much sense apart from what God is doing? These are, these are hard questions and questions as we go into this new year that, that I want to be able to answer uh, with more certainty and more excitement. Uh, relatedly, there's, there's all sorts of, of things I, I want to mention about this baptism scene. I'm so glad that we read this epiphany scene every year so that we don't have to get to the bottom of it. We can just keep noticing different things every, every time. But one thing I particularly noticed this time, especially reading on Wednesday, is that when John introduces Jesus, John calls Jesus the one stronger than I am is coming after me. The one stronger than I am is coming after me. Jesus is stronger than John. And I doubt this is some allusion to these cousins like childhood wrestling matches in Galilee. That'd be pretty awesome, but I think it, it's something a little more than that. Immediately upon coming out of the waters of the Jordan River, the heavens violently tear open. The spirit descends like a dove as in creation and a voice hovers over the waters. Before Jesus could do much of the like saving Messiah type stuff, before Jesus has done anything significant, before anyone was healed or any demons were cast out, before he had preached any sermons or told any parables, before he had answered anyone's questions with another question, before he had called out the Pharisees or cleansed the temple or laid down his life on the cross or defeated death, before he had done any of these things, the Father delights in the Son. With you, I am well pleased. 
And then Jesus goes about kind of flexing as this one. First order of business is calling disciples, this new family, and then exercising demons. Calling disciples and exercising demons. Later in chapter five, he comes across a man possessed by many demons and living amongst the tombs. Do you remember, you remember this story? The, the garrison demoniac? This guy is has busted out of his chains because he was a danger to himself and a danger to others. Jesus cast out the demons into a herd of pigs and they run off a cliff and the man's restored to his right mind. These are a couple of the many exorcisms in Matthew's gospel, which show Jesus doing battle in a house that is, quote, divided amongst itself. Jesus asserts that his mission is to enter the strong man's house and plunder it, to enter the strong man's house, bind him up and plunder it, to steal from the thief, to be even stronger. John says he's the strong man to be even stronger than the strongest powers and principalities which enslave and hold captive and possess. Jesus is the one stronger. So in some sense, epiphany means exorcism. (laughs) I'm sure you didn't exactly dial in this morning thinking we'd be talking about exorcisms. And before you think about, you know, head spinning and old horror movies, bear with me for a minute. Maybe that's what our country needs. Before we need healing, our country, the American church, before we need to be healed, we need the strong man to come and do battle on our behalf to purge us of these demons that possess us. Demons of white supremacy and Christian nationalism and a whole legion when Jesus Uh, talks to this man and addresses him as a demon. It's not just one demon. He says, we are legion. (laughs) We're a lot. (laughs) Uh, So if we're going to be honest, we need to know that there are, once we start shaking the tree, there is going to be a lot of stuff that starts to fall out. These are malignancies, which are killing us and we need them exercised. The, The one picture from Wednesday that stuck in my head was that picture of the Confederate flag waving inside of the halls of the Capitol. Apart from making me angry or sad or scared, it should also again reveal that we're not past this. (laughs) This isn't post-racial, like (laughs) we're, we're just like the garrison man living like zombies amongst the tombs and dead things threatening to pull others into this sin and death, a danger to ourselves and others. Uh, I watched, uh, I couldn't sleep and prayed. And then I watched Stephen Colbert on Wednesday night and he had this phrase. He said, uh, it was like he was looking into a black hole of whiteness. (laughs) And, and, And that feels like that garrison demoniac picture. If whiteness is a, is a legion of, uh, various powers and principalities and demons is this black hole sucking everyone in with it and possessing rather than giving life and abundant life and flourishing. This legacy of hate, violence, and oppression is a feature, not a bug until it is cast out in the name of Jesus. 
It, it must be exercised. It must be expelled. Again, we ask these hard questions of ourselves before they're out there, before we criticize or critique with, that needs to come at us. And so these hard questions, which I don't have ready answers are, what do you grieve when you see others? What do you look at someone you love and say, that feels like it has got them? I don't know them from what, I, from what they're saying and what they're doing and what they're, they're believing. Where do you see others caught in destructive cycles, demonic influence, slavery to sin and death? Because it's really hard to see it in yourself. We're largely inoculated of being able to see that in ourselves. Will you pray for release and deliverance for them? And then <laughs> will you be open to someone seeing that in you and praying for you to be delivered from those same bonds? These are, these are tricky traps and sometimes the traps we set for others catch our feet instead, right? So after Jesus heals the man in the land of the Gerasenes, he comes to his right mind and he tries to join Jesus on the boat and Jesus doesn't let him get on the boat. I probably wouldn't let him get on the boat either, to be honest with you. But Jesus tells him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He, he, gives, this, he gives this guy a mission says, go home to your own people, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's shown mercy on you. The aftermath of epiphany, epiphany is like a bomb goes off. The aftermath is putting all these pieces back together. This new revelation that we want to shield our eyes from, but we can't really look away. The off ramp that you took, the, the new on ramp that you need to take, the new identity, the new family, that your deep belovedness in the midst of all of it an embrace of Jesus's strength to fight for you and with you, the casting out of demons that have addled you and me and our neighbors. And then we trust God to construct a new and normal life around these realities. I love imagining how hard it is for this garrison guy to go back and do this, how long it must have taken for him to become kin again to others. Like it must have taken so long for him not to be that like suspicious and dangerous weirdo that people were used to seeing, like cutting himself on the edge of town, right? But now, and maybe that's always part of his identity. Maybe those scars are always there. Maybe it's really hard for people to invite him into their homes, but that's not the active and real part of his identity going forward. That's a faint memory of what it was like before God showed mercy and brought about flourishing and newness of life and connectivity and repentance. These are my hopes for us, for this, for us in the, just this like small nook of our nation that we might be steadfast and courageous. And we might be bold in our discernments in our proclamation of the kingdom of God of one who is stronger than the demonic powers that are convulsing because their time is up. When you're seeing all this happen, when the nations are raging, as some say, it's, it's because these, these powers know that it's, it's time, time up, that the kingdom of God is at hand. I pray that we'll be able to face these death dealing powers just head on, call a spade a spade and cling to the truth that Jesus is stronger than all of these strong forces, that salvation is possible. 
that epiphany is possible. Thanks be to God. Y'all pray with me. Lord, I ask that you help us ask and answer some of these hard questions of ourselves before we take them to others. Um, it's so easy to dehumanize other people um, because of um, the ways that the powers and principalities dehumanize us, make us less than human. Uh, Lord, join us. Um, to your work of becoming more human in Jesus, the Son of Man. Help us lean deeply into our deep belovedness before we could do anything in spite of anything we've done. Help us go into waters that cleanse us and kill those things which are not of you and raise us to new and everlasting life. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the strong one. Amen.